Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, well, if you would open up your Bibles now to Mark chapter 15. We're in verses 16 through 20 today as we continue our study in the, in the gospel of Mark. Um, as you turn there, let me review from last Sunday. And if you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back. We want to make sure that you have the word of God in your hand. That's our, that's our gift to you. Well, last Sunday, we met a different kind of Jesus, didn't we? Not Jesus the Christ, but we met Jesus Barabbas. We learned that Jesus Barabbas is actually guilty of the crime of which Jesus the Christ is accused. And we read about one Jesus who is guilty of of leading a real revolt, and then the other Jesus accused of causing a fake revolt. And at the end of our study, we saw how the religious leaders and how the lay people in the, in the crowd, they screamed and they demanded that Pilate release Jesus Barabbas and then crucify Jesus the Christ. One of the key points from last week is this, what Jesus the Christ did for Jesus Barabbas physically, it's the same thing that he did for us spiritually. So when we talk about the Christ being our, the, the substitute for our sin, right? The substitutionary atonement that we talk about. This transfer of Christ physically taking uh, Barabbas' place on that cross, that's a visible picture of what has happened for us spiritually, for you and me. And as I mentioned last Sunday, we are in the most gruesome part of what's called the passion narrative. And it's called the passion uh, because the, the, the word passion itself from Latin, it, it means pauti, meaning to endure means to suffer. So over the last several weeks, we, we've seen Jesus suffer. We've seen him endure all this physical pain, all of this emotional shame as well. It started back in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we saw it through his arrest There were three Jewish trials. We saw him continue with the three Roman trials. And as we continue our studies this morning, we're going to see his passion continue as Jesus is mocked and he's beaten by the Roman military. Now, I mentioned to you last Sunday that this is not my favorite part of the gospel to teach. Um, And it must have been similar for all four gospel writers to write it as well. And and I say that because they all do something very similar here with these very brutal accounts of of these narratives. Matthew, Mark, um, Luke, and John, they refuse to provide the gruesome details of what Jesus physically endured when he was being flogged and when he was crucified. And there there are several reasons for this. Number one, the original audience for each gospel, they knew what flogging and crucifixion was. They didn't have to get into the details of all of that. Number two, the physical pain of Jesus was a secondary issue to the gospel writers. 
it, it's the emotional pain that the gospel writers focus on. And it's also really important today as we, we move through this that there is a purpose in all of Jesus' suffering. Jesus went through all this pain and the shame as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that you and I can have a real relationship with Him. All this is not lost. It's not all for naught, right? This is not about religion. Jesus hates religion. We're talking about a relationship that is just so close. It is so true. It is so vibrant. It is so real, right? This relationship is not based on rules and religion. This is based on forgiveness and grace. Grace. We don't have to try to make God happy. We don't have to work at that, guys. Jesus has already completed the work. And dear friends, there is nothing more important than your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. My prayer for you today is the same as it is every Sunday. uh, That as we read the word of God, that you would experience him uh, verse by verse so that you can go out and live it out day by day. So with that being said, if you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 20 to give us the big picture of what's going on. Um, And then we're going to focus in on verses 16 through 20. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, the scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priest... They tied Jesus up, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you say so. The chief priest accused him of many things. So Pilate questioned him again, aren't you going to answer? I mean, look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer, and so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. And Pilate answered, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy and the chief priest handed him over. But the chief priest, they stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. And Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What's he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in purple, a purple robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick. They were spitting on him. They were getting on their knees and they were paying him homage. And after they had mocked him, They stripped him of the purple robe, and they put his clothes back on him. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. 
Father, the psalmist writes, help me understand your instruction and I will obey it and I will follow it with all of my heart. Amen and amen. Thank you guys. Have a seat. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 16. The soldiers led him away into the, play, into the palace. That is the governor's residence. And they called the whole company together. So the Roman soldiers, they bring Jesus either into a courtyard or, or some kind of larger walled space where the Roman military has their headquarters here. This event maybe took place in the barracks area with the soldiers. And then in verse 16... It says, they called the whole company together. Uh, various Bible translations, they translate this verse as the, the whole co- cohort, the garrison, the regiment, or even the battalion. In other words, all that to say, there's a whole lot of soldiers there. There's a whole lot of soldiers guarding Jesus at this moment. We're talking 600 men at full strength. It's the same number who came out to arrest Jesus. So the question is, well, wait a second, why so many men? Well, at this point in the narrative, it's almost as if Jerusalem is an ocean filled with blood and the sharks are in this feeding frenzy. The Roman soldiers, they're still treating Jesus as this dangerous revolutionary that's out for Caesar's job, even though Pilate judged him as innocent. The Jews, they beat on Jesus. The Romans, they flogged Jesus, and now the Romans, they're going to continue beating, mocking, and shaming this innocent man. Verse 16, notice Mark's wording here. He's careful to point out that this entire brutal event took place within a palace. A palace. That's ironic, isn't it? To beat and shame a king, let alone the king of kings in a palace? How do the soldiers do this? Well, in verse 17, they dressed him in a purple robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. So this purple robe was most likely an old, worn out robe from a Roman soldier. These these robes were dark red, like a scarlet red. Um, But over time, the sun faded them out. So it had a, a purple tint to it, a purple hue. Um, as you know, the, the, the color purple is the, the color of royalty. Mark goes on here in verse 17, they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. Uh, the crown of thorns, they were trying to imitate Caesar's wreath that you've seen on, on Roman coinage. Now, Jerusalem has plenty of thorny plants to choose from. They probably grabbed what was near the palace. Uh, keep, keep in mind, none of this is planned. Certain kinds of palm trees also have thorns in Jerusalem. Uh, They've got one that's called a thorn palm. Uh, They could have easily made this, uh, the leaves, into a wreath that has the thorns on them. They got long spikes. All that to say this. So you've got the royal royal color of purple. You've got the, the, the crown. These are both symbols of royalty, and they make a mockery out of Jesus. Verse 18, they began to salute him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 18 is a parody of Caesar's salute. Hail, Caesar, victor, 
commander. So just as the Jews mocked Jesus as a false Messiah, we've got the Romans, uh, they are now taunting him as a false king. Hail. It means rejoice, but they said it with dripping sarcasm. The king of the Jews, it was said with contempt. So in their view, Jesus was not a king. Come on, man. Kings have followings. Kings have armies. Kings have power. And Jesus didn't have any of this at that moment. Verse 19, they were hitting him on the head with a stick. And they were spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They were paying him homage. So here we see the soldiers. They, they didn't simply place the crown on Jesus' head. This is not a costume, but rather they, they beat it into his skull. This is just another torture device for them. And I think it's really imperative that we pause here for one second. Back in Mark chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus had predicted that all of this would come true in, exa in the exact fashion that it's now happening. Let me show this to you again, because all of these prophecies, they, what they do is they continue to come up and prove Jesus is not just a victim of circumstance here. This is, this is not Jesus has lost control at this moment, anything but. Jesus is on mission. He's right in the center of, of his father's hand, no matter how bad this looks at this moment. Mark 10, verse 33 Jesus said this, he says, look guys, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man, that's him. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes. Check. They're, they're going to condemn him to death. Check. They're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. Check. And then they're going to mock him. Check. Spit on him. Check. Flog him. Check. Then they're going to kill him, and, and I'm going to rise, I'm going to raise, I'm going to walk out of my own grave in three days. And we'll get to that here in the next couple of weeks. And here we are. Jesus said that five chapters earlier. Here we are in Mark chapter 15, and these prophecies are all coming true in real time. Every jot and tittle from the Old Testament, every prophecy spoken by Jesus the Christ is fulfilled in himself. So look at verse 19 again. They were hitting, they were spitting, and they were getting and paying. All the verbs here, they are imperfect. In the English, we see them with ing. So this means that the soldiers did all of these things for a prolonged amount of time. This is not just a one and done thing. Let's not forget they've got 600 soldiers maybe around the palace at that time standing in line to take their shot at this person going for Caesar's job. Key point number one for today. People mock what they don't understand. People mock what they don't understand. So guys, when you share your faith, there are some people who are going to scoff, they're going to mock, they're going to roll their eyes. There's no need for you to get mad or defensive at all. They simply do not understand, just like we didn't at one time or another. That's why the training to share your faith is so important, so very, very important. Jesus trained his disciples, right? 
So we too, all of us, we gotta, we gotta train all of us how to communicate the gospel. We gotta do that with love and grace and kindness and truth. That's why we focus on the three circles. That's why we show those videos every single Sunday morning. In fact, we'll have a, a three circles class starting in March or April as well. All that to say this, people mock what they don't understand. The soldiers did not understand what was happening at that moment. John's gospel provides additional details to our story here. After the soldiers beat and mock Jesus, the soldiers bring Jesus to Pilate. Pilate then brings Jesus out to the crowd one more time. And we pick it up here in John 19.4. Pilate went out again and he said to them, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let him know. I find no grounds. Remember, that's legal terminology. He's, he's innocent in my eyes. I find no grounds for charging him. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, here he is. Here's the man. Pilate brings Jesus out one more time in an effort for the crowd to give him mercy. But they would not relent in screaming for his death. Verse 6, when the chief priest and the, and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. And Pilate said, you guys take him. You crucify him yourself. I find no grounds. There's that legal terminology. I find no grounds for charging him. Verse 7, we have a law, the Jews said. <laughs> oh, now they're going to start obeying Jewish law. Really? This, they're going to start? They've, it's been lawless all the way for the past 24 hours, and now they're going to pick and choose the law that they're going to, okay. According to that law, he ought to die, Pilate, because he made himself to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, we, he was more afraid than ever. So why was Pilate, of all people, why was he afraid of that? It's important to note here that Pilate is a Roman pagan. Uh, in other words, Pilate has lots of room in his theology for lots of gods. Obviously, Pilate doesn't want to upset any of the gods that he's thinking about. So in verse 9, he goes back into the headquarters and he asks Jesus, where are you from? And Pilate's not talking about Nazareth either, right? Are you, are, what, third rock from the sun type thing? Where are you from, Jesus? Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus said, look, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the stone pavement. And then he told the Jews, Here's your king. They shouted again, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said, should I crucify your king, really? And then they said this, we have no king but Caesar. The Jews have been, have been paying the price for that declaration of allegiance to another king for the past 2,000 years. Matthew steps in, fills another gap here, Matthew 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, he washed his, 
his hands in front of the crowd and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. You see to it yourself. So as we mentioned several weeks ago, Pontius Pilate, he was the governor of Palestine for over a decade. And during that time, his working with the Jews, he clearly picked up some traditions uh, from them. Pilate chooses to use a Jewish illustration to get his point, uh, his, his point across because he said, I find no grounds four times. There's, I don't find anything wrong with this. This man is innocent. He said it four times. That's not working. So Pilate decides on an object lesson here. The washing of hands is a Jewish ritual. So in the Old Testament, if the rulers of the city, if they were not able to find or identify a criminal, especially when it came to a capital crime like murder, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, gave them an out. They were to wash their hands publicly and then pray to God. This provision in the law, it pardoned them of any guilt, of any responsibility regarding their inability to execute justice for that crime. So Pilate clearly is communicating that he is officially resigning himself of of his inability to execute justice for Jesus. So in other words, Pilate is saying, you know what, guys, I am, I'm washing my hands of this, right? I am, this is not my mess. This is not my responsibility. So he thinks. Back to, back to Mark's gospel, verse 20. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and they put his clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. As you can imagine, just moments before, Jesus was flogged. All right, he, he's got all sorts of open wounds on his body And that robe probably stuck to Jesus' wounds. You guys know yourselves, the minor pain when someone rips a Band-Aid off of you. So imagine the excruciating pain that Jesus felt when they stripped off that Roman robe from him. So they finally put Jesus' clothes back on him. Now, it was a Roman custom for the condemned to be led naked to the place of execution and to be flogged on the way. Uh, Jesus, however, he had already been flogged, so there's no way he's going to survive another beating here. Uh, Generally, once a prisoner was condemned and sentenced to death via crucifixion, a Roman execution squad was assigned to the prisoner. The squad consisted of four soldiers. It was overseen by a centurion, which is the commander Jesus was assigned such a squad. He was immediately led away. And then in verse 20, we see that that squad, they, that's the, the, the five men there, led him out to crucify him. So that's where we're going to stop today. Uh, we're going to pick it up here in verse 20 next Sunday. We're going to discuss the first three hours of Jesus's crucifixion. And then the following Sunday, we'll discuss the second three hours. Now, I mentioned as we go through this text verse by verse um, that there is a purpose to all of this pain. There's a purpose to all of Jesus' suffering. You know, as the prophet Isaiah said and, and prophesied in Isaiah 53, that Jesus was wounded for our transgression, right? Um, transgression, that is a violation of the law. 
We purpose, purposely violated God's law. He goes on to say that Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. Iniquity, it's not just sin, it's, it's deliberate rebellion. Iniquity is, is knowing the right thing to do, but choosing to do the wrong thing. We just completely ignored God. We, we know that gossip is wrong, but we don't shut our mouths, Right? We know that looking at pornography or, or rated R movies, we, we know that all the sexuality in our life is wrong, but you know what? God's grace is, he'll forgive me. He'll forgive me. That's iniquity. That's rebellion. That's what the prophet's talking about here. Jesus endured all this suffering for one primary reason, and that, and that is to give you and I the opportunity to have this right relationship with him to have the, the relationship with God the Father. So by Jesus' suffering and his death, he atoned for our sins, right? So in other words, Jesus paid the price and he, he brings humanity back into a, a right relationship with the Father. So when you hear that word atonement or atone, the way that it's spelled, at one. So you've got God the Father, you've got humanity, we are now at one. Things are atoned meaning that there's, there's peace between humanity and God the Father now because of the propitiation that, that Jesus paid, the appeasement, right? God satisfied the Father's wrath. So dear friends, when you, uh, when you run into a divine disruption this week, when God disrupts your schedule and you're irritated by it, and he put some people in your path that you weren't planning on speaking to. Or, or maybe it's a, a God intersection this week. And, and you start to hear a spiritual conversation. You start to hear someone crying out for help. Please know that when you share that Jesus suffered, right? All, all, this, all this suffering that we went verse by verse today. He suffered, he died, he buried, he walked out of his own grave three days later. He, he did all of that, not just for you, but for the person that you're speaking to at that moment. And they're crying out for help as well. So my encouragement is that you would take this teaching and engage in that conversation, that there's a meaning to Jesus' suffering, well, there's a meaning to their suffering as well. And maybe, just maybe, God is inviting you in that, that God intersection or that divine disruption to engage in that conversation, share the gospel, invite them to church, and then also so they, they can learn that their suffering is not wasted either. Amen? God doesn't waste suffering. It, 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 when you talked to Steve and Martha... And his brain cancer, he doesn't waste brain cancer. God isn't going to waste this hospital stay with, with Maria either. Those of you who have been sick, those of you who have children who have gone south or grandchildren, or maybe your finances are upside down or whatever the trial is, God's not going to waste that. He's not. Does, does Romans 8.28 go like this? That some things work together for good? A few things work for good? I didn't get a chance to study. What's that verse? 
all things work together for good. All of it. And we say, ah, oh, Lord, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. That's because his ways are so much higher than ours. And praise God for that. So dear friends, once again, I just want to encourage you as you go through your trial, as you get your eyes off yourself this week, and you do have a moment that God is sharing, that person is hurting too. Because you guys watch the news, you see what's going on. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of hurting, angry, frustrated people. And God has created this little church on the hill for you to minister to them and to speak grace and truth into their life. All right? Amen? Amen. 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 Well, if you would please stand, let me pray for you and give you the benediction for today. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Amen and amen. Please go walk worthy and go serve your Savior this week. In Jesus' name, amen.